Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I uh, am happy to be here to celebrate with you all today. I had this uh, wonderful young lady print me something a while ago because I feel like, uh, you know, Jesus adds stuff at the last minute. And, uh, and I, I am excited to share with you a word today. Let me tell you um, how grateful I am that this part of the city is being covered by a kingdom uh, point of light. This is a kingdom place. The Heaven on Earth song they were singing a while ago is, is amazingly, you know, that's one thing that David and I had in common, uh, among other things, but David uh, is a kingdom guy. And the reason I say that, and you'll see that distinction, I think, in this word today, uh, everyone's not a kingdom person. In fact, they don't even understand the kingdom. They understand part of the gospel, but they don't understand that part. And that song exemplifies so much about what I have believed for many years and is coming more in focus. I'm not right now speaking as much as I have in the past. I still speak enough, but I am studying. I'm actually in a, in a place that God has me studying. We, and then, and then speaking what I'm hearing. The body of Christ needs a directive word. Uh, we're just lost, wandering. Uh, it's great to see the Brockmans here today. Uh, God bless you, John, and Jocelyn is somewhere. Restroom? Okay, well, we'll give her a hand when she comes back. <clears throat> I uh, appreciate seeing them and, of course, uh, uh, all of you that are here. Some of you we have real long-time friendships with and so many new folks that we have not met before, but you'll love me as you get to know me. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, it grows on you. It's like a fungus. You know, it's so hard for me. I, that's why I wanted, I was so happy for Kathy to come and share both of our hearts with David because somehow David is just ornery and he brings out in me, every time I talk about David, it turns into a roast. I don't know why, David. I do have something to apologize to you for. A number of years ago, when David... <laughs> it's great to have you back, Jocelyn. Your husband told us you went to the restroom. That was an awful thing to say. John, just for the future, powder her nose is the term. And God says today, by the way, I don't know what all this means. I hope it means something to you all. You do have a special place in my heart. I'm not sure why, because I, I haven't been with you all that much. I don't know you all that well, but I appreciate you. And God's just given me a place in, in my heart for you. You're, you're special people. And God says today his intention is to lift something off of you and drop something into you. That, that's about to happen for you right now. God is going to lift something off of you. 
and drop something into you. I, I hope that you receive that today. Well, let's have some fun in the Word. I want to talk to you today about the gospel of the kingdom. I hope that it's maybe what you expect. It's going to be different. It's going to be challenging. Uh, I'm not mad at anybody. I don't feel the personal responsibility to fix anybody, but I do feel responsible to teach the Word of God as it's written. And I, without being negative at all, I, I feel like we've missed something in the body of Christ, we're really strong on what I call the gospel of salvation, and we're not very strong on the gospel of the kingdom. And the problem is Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Peter preached the gospel of the kingdom. Paul preached the gospel of the kingdom. And we preach the gospel of salvation. And so we raise up churches full of people that don't know anything about the king because for them he's still on a cross. In fact, the word crucifix, you've seen those. They make them into jewelry and they have them life-size and they have everything. Uh, cruz means cross and fix, that we get the word fixation and all that, means to attach. So crucifix is fixing Christ to the cross. And he's not there anymore. But for much of the church world, they're worthless for the most part, for changing the world because all they've ever been taught, it's not their fault, they've been taught a gospel of salvation and they've been taught that if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, you will be saved. I'm going to show you in the Word today that that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if we confess the Lordship of Jesus and that God raised him from the dead... We will be saved. Note this, and this is not an anti-cross message by any means. Of course we're thankful for the cross. But Paul doesn't even mention the cross in that verse. He says, if you don't understand, in fact, I'm going to read some verses to you today that I think will really energize new brain cells for you and think new thoughts that maybe you never have before. So in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, this is Jesus, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing, by the way. So don't, don't uh, we don't mince words there. It, it is the same. Uh, the reason I think Matthew uses the term kingdom of heaven is because he was, re he was writing to a Jewish audience. And Jews didn't write the name God. So Matthew was able to use heaven and not offend anybody. But kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are the same things. It's not, it's not two different things in the word. So both gospels that I've shared today, uh, the terminology from are right, but there are differences. The gospel of salvation is not wrong, but it's not complete that's why Jesus didn't preach salvation. What happens is only salvation message fills churches with people who can mark a date somewhere in their Bible that they accepted that Jesus died for their sins, and then they go out to make a life that is, for the most part, unchanged because they've never been introduced to lordship. I got a rude awakening for somebody today. If you're saved... Indeed, he is in charge of every aspect of your life. Yeah, yeah. 
So the gospel of salvation, get this now, is founded on belief in the death of Jesus. Would you agree? But the gospel of the kingdom is his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, enthronement, and release of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel of the kingdom. It doesn't stop at the cross. So I don't want to offend anybody, but I am personally troubled by seeing facsimiles of crucifixions. I don't want one hanging around my neck with Jesus hanging lifeless on a cross. It doesn't give you the same punch. It's like the church, true story, that was having an Easter play, and they wanted to have a resurrection of a victorious Jesus, so they had Jesus, the character, crouching in the baptistry, and they wanted some smoke when the spotlights hit, so they filled the sides of the baptistry with dry ice. And they didn't know as he crouched back there that as the choir broke out in the hallelujah chorus and all the spotlights hit the baptistry and the guy over in the corner with the pulley starts raising up the resurrected Christ, they get him up within view and he's hanging lifeless at the end of the rope because dry ice removes oxygen. So the guy was totally unconscious, probably a minute from dying, and it just kind of put a damper <laughs> on the end of the resurrection. It somehow lost its victory. And I'm going to say to you, as funny as that story is, if you miss the gospel of the kingdom and you fix him to a cross, in fact, I'm going to say probably some strong things and you can go and meditate it later and get mad at me or whoever you need to. I... I I believe the devil loves us to stop our experience with Jesus on the worst day of his life and mold it into metal and fix him on a cross forever. Because listen, there is record of the Romans crucifying on crosses thousands of Jews. And there was a Jesus, which was the New Testament Greek version of Joshua. There was a little Jesus running around on every block in Jerusalem. So it wasn't his name that was unique, and it wasn't the style of his death that was unique. You know what was unique? As soon as they rolled the stone in front of the tomb, a nuclear energy renewed his body, and he rose up and did kingdom business for the three days. You know why we know he wasn't dead for three days? Because David said, you will not suffer your servant to see corruption. In crude language, that means his body will not even begin the decay process. Well, you don't want to lay a dead body out for three days because it starts to decay. That didn't happen to Jesus. They rolled the stone over. He was raised. He went to hell paradise, set captives free, and on the third morning, as he prophesied, he walked out. So, can we push this a little further? Here's the gospel of the kingdom. Through his death, get this straight now, through his death, he took our sins. In his resurrection, he conquered death. As he ascended, he was raised above all authorities. When he was enthroned, he became king of the world. And as king, he had anointed to send us the Holy Spirit. None of these steps can be left out. Else it's not the gospel of the kingdom. 
So the gospel Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by that. Now, why do we hold him in a place that wasn't possible for him to be held? Sorry, but there's no power in a dead Jesus. That's not what we're here to celebrate. That's why people mourn and cry and try to be good enough. I've been to Rome. I've been out in St. Peter's Square. I've seen, I remember one time so distinctly, a woman, I don't know where she was from in the world. She was stylishly dressed, beautiful, coiffured outfit, uh, dark uh, nylons and high heels. But when she got in the square, she dropped to her knees. I was walking around like a tourist, admiring the works of Michelangelo and Bernini. She was there because she was trying to get good enough. I watched this woman crawl on her knees until her nylons were torn, approaching the doors of St. Peter's Basilica, weeping her eyes out, looking around everywhere at dead Jesuses. That's not where the victory is. Everything he's ever going to do for us, he's already done. He's already done. That's what he meant when he said, this is finished. In fact, the Bible says it this way. And somebody's like, I can't believe he's talking about Jesus on the cross like this. The Bible says of Jesus, he despised death on a cross. You really think that's where he wants to be locked forever? He despised death on a cross. That wasn't his best day. It was a beautiful day for us, but he's not there. So David says concerning the Lord, I, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to even see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence." Men and brethren, is it okay if I read a few verses? Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. That he is both dead, and, see this was their greatest hero. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. This doesn't sound like a simple and unread fisherman, does it? This sounds like a man recently anointed by the Holy Spirit and preaching a house of fire of prophetic truth. Wow. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the, whole, the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Yes, yes. He couldn't do that from a cross. He did that from a throne. Yes, yes, yes. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord, Elohim, said to my Lord, Messiah, sit at my right hand till I make every one of your enemies your footstool. And that began at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that's when the kingdom was introduced. Now, you're going to tell, if I don't give it away here today, if you listen to me very much, if theologians identified me, it would be closer in my eschatology to what, I would, what they would call a partial preterist. I am not a futurist. A futurist in eschatology believes that everything in Matthew 24 and all the other is yet to be fulfilled. I don't believe that. To me, it's very clear. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to offend anybody. This is just me, but I am trying to convert everybody. <laughs> Jesus clearly said this generation will not pass till all these things are fulfilled. Why is, this, why is this important? Please hear this part right now if you don't hear anything else. It's as fresh in my spirit as anything I got to say. How are we going to present a message of victory to the world if we leave every bad thing that could ever happen in our preaching future, so the best we can do is try to scare the world with the recent problem in the world and threaten that Jesus is going to come any minute because Putin has attacked Ukraine or because there's a shortage of this or a raise in price of that or a blood moon of that, and I'm going to sell you a book, and then nothing happens when the blood moon comes and goes. Are we just going to keep on totally losing our credibility with this foolishness? If you read the Bible, you're going to read that Jesus clearly said, there is no sign given to my return. Nobody knows but the Father. Oh, but Brother Wonderful that buys a 30-minute spot on TV, he knows. Jesus doesn't know, but he knows. And we're going to buy his book. Don't buy the books. You're wasting your money. Read Matthew 24 clearly. People are still looking for an antichrist, not me. If you study the Bible and you study Hebrew, I'm enrolled in courses in Hebrew Institute. And if you understand that, you will understand clearly the cryptic language of John and who the antichrist was. They didn't want to lose their head prematurely. So they used the Hebrew language that has a numerical value for every letter. The Antichrist was Nero. Nero is the only name that it could have been that the Hebraic totals was 666. And the reason we know that's true is because then, let me come down a notch. What am I yelling at you for? When the, when the Bible was written in what we call the Latin Vulgate, then those numbers changed. So the 666 would have been changed to 616. There are other names that could possibly have filled the 666 in Hebrew, but when you change it to Latin and you change it to 616 and apply the values, there's no other name it fits than Nero. Nero was the Antichrist. Nero was the destroyer of the temple. Nero is the prophetic man that the Bible said would come into the temple and create a desolation of abomination. Nero stole all the holy things from the temple, and you can go to Rome where I've been and taken pictures at the Arch of Triumph of the Romans walking through the streets of Rome displaying the menorah and the gold from the temple in Jerusalem. All of that stuff was fulfilled. How can we produce a message of victory 
And how is the gospel good news if the only thing we have to preach is all the bad news coming? Let me tell you something. Quickly, if I can, gosh, I'm digging a hole too deep here. I got to bring this thing in for a landing soon. But Pastor Nicole told me you all are old school and you have slow church. Okay, can I just cover this quickly because I got to jump back to Daniel for just a minute because you need to understand this. Nebuchadnezzar saw a vision and Daniel interpreted the vision. Nebuchadnezzar saw, said, I saw a giant. His head was gold. Then his breastplate was brass and then his loins were metal and then he went all the way down to a kingdom, a, a, a feat, sorry, of mixture of lead and, and clay. And Daniel said, here's the translation, king. The images of four kingdoms. Four kingdoms will rule the world. The first one is yours. The Babylonian kingdom is the gold head. The second one is the Medo-Persians. That's the brass breastplate. Follow me? The third one is the Greek empire. I'm naming for you what God knew in advance, what would be world-dominating kingdoms. And the last one is the Roman empire. So you have the Babylonian, rule the world. Medo-Persian, rule the world. Greek, rule the world. Roman, rule the world. But Daniel's translation said of the vision, when we are in the time of the fourth kingdom, a rock that was not hewn with hand will come and strike the image in his feet and the whole thing will fall and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, if you fool around with enough futurist teaching, they're going to turn that rock into the Antichrist. That's why futurists keep trying to rebuild the revised Roman Empire. Would you quit already? They've tried to make it the European Union, and then they got too many countries. They're looking for 10 countries. We got to rebuild the old Roman Empire. So they thought it was the European Union. Then it went to 12. Then three dropped out, and it was nine. They just keep having a problem. That's already done, man. The Roman Empire is not going to be revived. All the bad news happened already. The kingdom is nothing but good news. And the Bible says that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I got to say something to you right quick because we've been such bad news mongers in the body of Christ that we've got to put some of this under our foot. Let me tell you for just a minute, I want to paint a different picture than you may have. I know we have bad things going on in the world right now. Because we're on dual tracks. The kingdom of God is running simultaneously with the world's kingdom. The world's kingdom will get darker. The kingdom of God will get brighter. Let me tell you this that you need to understand. Study this in history. You'll find it to be true. I'm going to say something right now so mind-blowing that we need to send every one of you out of here sharing this good news. Because of the beginning of the kingdom of God at the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and enthronement of Jesus, that's when it started in the earth, and it has been rising ever since. There's six billion people on the planet. Over two billion of them call Christ their Lord. It's never been better than it is right now in the world. Even in the world's darkest places, it's never been better. You say, what are you talking about? I don't have the time right now to develop what an awful and his, his, a despicable shape the world was in when Jesus was born into it. Do you understand that when Jesus was born, 
over 40% of every human on the planet was a slave. That's not true now. When Jesus was born, there was no cures for the most common of diseases. So the average lifespan was less than 40. That's not true now. When Jesus was born, at times in parts of the world, up to three out of four children were aborted. Abortion was more common in Jesus' time than it is now. It's not worse now. It's better. For the fact that there would be anybody fighting against it at all didn't happen in Jesus' time. It was common. Life had little value. And the depravity, take ISIS at its worst and spread it to the whole known world, and that's what every kingdom operated by. Rome, mostly homosexual. Rome introduced a kind of depravity the world had ever known. Rome had no value for life. How can a decree come from Herod and say, listen, I think there's been a, this king of the Jews thing, and I'm jealous of that. I, I'm going to make sure, you know, every, every despotic leader eliminates the competition. So this is the way he decided to do it. Just kill every male child under three years old. So the Romans come into Jerusalem and murder every baby boy under three years old, grab them right out of mother's arm. That's not happening now. There are isolated, horrible things in the world. I'm not a fool. I understand that. But the kingdom of God in the earth has had more positive influence on darkness than ever in our time. Why is this important and why am I sharing this with such passion? Because I believe with all of my heart the enemy wants us to keep preaching this partial gospel that we all lose. And if we don't get out of here in the rapture at the last second, we're all going to die. And all we got to preach about the future is bad news. No wonder the world's like, thank you much. I think I'll sleep in and then watch me some football because I got enough trouble in my life without going to church and get burdened down with more because some people's vision of eschatology, which is the study of last things, is a dark picture. Mine is not. You say, well, he took away our crucifix. Well, why don't you replace that image with an enthroned Christ? Because he's not on a cross, he's enthroned. And he's doing like this. When the Bible talks in Revelation about judgments, that doesn't mean killing everybody. That's because kings make judgments. Here's the kind of judgments he makes. Man, I feel this in my bones today. Here's the kind of judgments a king makes. The king looks down. He says, what a fitting name. I'm going to open Dwell Church, a place in, on Bethany Road, because I took them as far out as Bethany. So I can get to Bethany. So let me make a judgment here. Mark that spot and give it to my kids at dwell. And then let the blessing of the king of kings emanate from that place and impact that whole part of the metroplex. And yea, spread to the state and the nation and the, and the world. And I make a ruling on their behalf. Favor them. See, we, we've even got the wrong picture of judgment. A judgment is a decision made by a king. There's been a decision made in the heavens to favor you. <laughs> My God. So then Paul in Acts 28, I just wanted to show you what Paul preached.
I love this picture. Have you ever read this before? He's getting now up in years. He's been beaten and stoned and left for dead, and he's been through it all. He's writing letters to the new churches, and he's leading and guiding as an apostle. You can miss this. This is He was a man. Look at this. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Then I quoted earlier Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, wait a minute now. I thought I was supposed to confess that he died for my sins. Listen, with due respect, if there is no resurrection, we're all still sinners. What distinctively makes Jesus different is he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. So by living only the gospel of salvation, we believe he died for our sins and then we wait to go to heaven. Crucifix forever. But by living the gospel of the kingdom, we believe that he died, was buried, was resurrected, ascended, enthroned, and poured out the Holy Spirit and we are the receivers as his subjects. This is going to blow your mind. Romans 5 and 10, you might have missed this before. Listen carefully. I'm not making up some new gospel. Have we missed this? Look at Romans 5 and 10. I'll read it for you. But for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He doesn't say we're saved because he died. We're saved because he's alive. This is revelatory. So it's growing. The kingdom is bigger now than it's ever been. Be encouraged. 200,000 people a day around the world are coming to faith in Christ. 20,000 people a day in our contacts with the underground church in China are accepting the Lord's lordship in their lives and they're serving it and they're living it. In Iran, they're living it by the tens of thousands. Dr. Harmo said, would you come, Mike, and preach to pastors from Iran? We're gonna have our meeting in Turkey and it has to be secret. We have to smuggle them out. Some of them, he said, we found these guys empty out the saddle tank on an 18-wheeler of its fuel and cut a place in the back out and crawl up in there and then they bolt them back in there and they make the trip 10 or 12 hours across the border as an 18-wheeler delivery truck so they can break them out and they can come to the conference. Wow. I'm like, my God, I don't know if I can preach to those guys or not. Yeah. It's like I went to Vietnam to preach and they brought together 12 of the top spiritual leaders in the country and they started with lunch and the translator said, we want you to begin, we're gonna serve you lunch. It was a beautiful lunch. And she said, we want you to, uh, were you on that trip with us, David? Yes. These beautiful men were around the table and they said, we want you to begin teaching. And I said, listen, I don't wanna start right now. Let me get to know them. So go around the table and tell me your testimony. 
By the time they got around that table, I'd cried out every tear, and I believe I'd added up about 58 collective years that those 10 or 11 men had served in jails for preaching the gospel. And they were so joyful about it. They were, it was so funny. This one guy said, a village preacher came on the corner, preached John 3.16. I received the Lord. I got saved. He said, here, he wrote on a piece of paper. I didn't even have a Bible. The next day, I was preaching the same verse. I'd gotten saved one day before. They came and arrested me. And after they'd arrested me 10 times, they put me in prison and said, you're not going to learn, so two or three days in jail is not going to fix you. So they put me in solitary confinement for nine months, and God spoke to me and said, it's going to be just like a child's time in the womb. In nine months, you're going to come out in power. So he said, I came out. God led me to the top of the Communist Party's son who was a heroin addict. I led him to the Lord. He got free of heroin in prison, and his father contacted me and said, your house where you were having a house church, we had welded the doors and windows shut and swore there would never be church held there again. I've already cut the welds off the doors and windows. You go back and reopen your church, and if anybody ever bothers you again, you just call me. Preach the gospel. You saved my son. And I could tell you a million stories about that, of the rising kingdom of God around the world. And then we want to sit around and wait for the next bad news on the headline so we can talk about Jesus coming. Come on, man. The gospel of the kingdom, it's growing. So the death of Jesus reconciles to, to us to God, but the life of Jesus saves us. Let me say it stronger. We're not saved by the death of Jesus only. We're saved by the life of Jesus. Saved from what? Colossians tells us, in chapter 1, verse 13, for he has rescued us and has drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness. That's a kingdom word. Darkness is a kingdom too. And we don't fight flesh and blood. We fight a dark kingdom. And has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The what? The kingdom of his beloved son. To our directors in the booth, if you can be instant in season, I didn't add this scripture, but I'm going to add it because I'm going to close with this. I think you need to see this passage in a new light. Would you give me 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 17? And if you're taking notes, please write that down. And... If they can give me the verse here, I want to walk you through this verse by verse. Give us first, first 514, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Are we good? Okay, take your time. This is really important because this is what God is calling for as a shift today. And I think this, this verse is going to nail it for you. Is everybody good so far? How many of you believe the kingdom of God's message? How many of you believe we worship and enthrone Jesus? I'm sorry, but I can't get that excited about, you know, in fact, I could tell you so many stories, some of them hilarious, that I almost get the feeling with a sense of humor, Jesus enthroned in the heavens doesn't want his cross reenacted in plays. A friend of mine, a pastor, went to the play in Eureka Springs where they put on an unbelievable passion play. 
And the night he was there, the first string Jesus broke his ankle and they had to haul him out in an ambulance. So the second string Jesus was put in his place and as they got ready for the cross scene, his understudy, who was the Roman soldier that would run the spear in Jesus' side, he said, listen, I have to go now and go be Jesus, so you have to do my part. So you know what to do, run out, grab the uh, rubber spear with the spring and run it in my side. So he's second string Jesus, so he is hanging on the cross with fake blood all over him, and his understudy runs out with a spear and says, someone he shouts, surely this must have been the Son of God, and he runs the spear in his side, but he didn't get the fake one. So Jesus, second string Jesus on the cross with a microphone on, yells out with 2,000 people in the audience as loud as he could, S-H-I-T! But he didn't spell it. He said, you dummy, you used the wrong spear. You stabbed me. So they took second string Jesus down and hauled him off in an ambulance. And I hear that story and I'm like, I think Jesus has a sense of humor and he's sitting on his throne like, I am so tired of them hanging me on a cross every night. I'm going to make a mockery of this thing. So one gets hauled off with a broken ankle. The other one has a stab wound in his side. <laughs> and another one is hanging lifeless because of dry ice. He's enthroned, folks. He is enthroned. For the love of Christ, verse 14, this is Paul writing. Watch this. You're going to see something here that I pray actually that a miracle of revelation happens in your spirit when we read these verses. For the love of Christ compels us because we judged thus, that if one died for all, then all died. In other words, that's vicarious or representative death. Look at verse 15. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Now look at verse 17. You will know this one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That term, new creation, is the Greek word metamorpho, which fits what happens to a caterpillar turning to a butterfly. It's the only place in Scripture it's used, a new creation. A caterpillar, a butterfly, is not a caterpillar that grew wings. A butterfly is what used to be a caterpillar that in a cocoon for approximately 10 days melted down and was chemically remade into a whole new creation. He's no longer a worm. He is now a butterfly. And he's not fragile. If you see them fluttering around right now, they're migrating. They go all the way from the northeast of the United States to a place outside of Guadalajara, Mexico and have a conference. Billions of them gather outside of Guadalajara and they go over the news 
hang out a little bit, catch some rays. Then they fly back, all the way back. One of them they tracked. Can you imagine how small the leg band was on a monarch butterfly? But anyway, literally he was born in a shrub in a backyard in Rhode Island. They tracked him to Mexico and in the spring, when it's time to migrate back, lay their larvae and die, they track her back to the same shrub in the same backyard. Let me tell you how sensitive they are. Uh, a, 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 a biologist, geologist that we know, brilliant man, studies migrations, hummingbirds, butterflies. He said they were migrating back from Mexico. Look how smart these little guys are. So there was, he, he, he made a relationship with a ship's captain who tra traverses the Gulf of Mexico. So the ship's captain was steaming north, and millions of monarchs hitched a ride on the containers. So they were sitting on the containers, hitching a ride across the Gulf of Mexico. Pretty smart, right? But here's the experiment. So the, the geologist was on the phone with the captain and said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. At midnight, when it's dark, can't tell direction, and all of them are sleeping, hitching a ride. Make a gentle turn, a large gentle turn, and head back south. I want to know what happens. As soon as the ship turned and headed south, all the monarchs woke up and took flight and headed back north. What was that saying? In that little thing in their brain that God put there, it was saying, as soon as we understand that this thing isn't taking us a direction we're supposed to be going, we're up and off of this thing, and we would rather fly and face headwinds than we would hitch a ride on something not going where we're supposed to be going. I wish I was a preacher, because that right there would preach. How long? Have we seen folks ride a free ride, not going the way God called them, but it's easy. I'll, I'll go into that the next time I'm here, but I may not be invited back. Your pastor is going to have to straighten out everything that I've preached today that he doesn't agree with. Please do that, David, because you are the man of this house. I am not. But here's the, here's the invitation to shift. Would you go back to verse 16, please? Paul literally is writing here about a shift in his spirit and a decision he made that he would never go back on. Listen to this. Paul said, listen, guys. See, this is why the Bible was always against graven images. Because now we made a graven image of what we think Jesus looks like, which was fashioned by an Italian painter. So now we have major arguments in the body of Christ among the races about whether or not that's accurate and we think maybe he was black or brown or white or whatever. We know he wasn't a European. We don't know what he looked like for sure, but we've made images of him now and we worship the image more than the reality. People will fight you over messing with their pictures of Jesus. In fact, we're further off than that. People will fight me a comment I made about two weeks ago about how stupid Halloween is. It's not a holiday. Do it if you want to. I hope you don't get demon-possessed, but it's not a holiday. Hand out candy if you want to, but the root word of holiday is holy. 
And I am personally troubled by the fact that we in America have surpassed in expenditure Halloween decorations. Now we're spending more than Christmas. So there, fix that, David. <laughs> David's going to have to have a six-week series to fix everything here. But listen, I can tell when you got a religious spirit, if you're not laughing right now, you disagree with me, and there's deep sin in your life. Here's the decision Paul made. And listen, Paul was raised a Jew of the Jew, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew all this about graven images. But Paul said something so powerful here, it makes me want to weep. Paul said, listen, guys, I knew Christ after the flesh. But I'm going to choose from this day forward to never think of him in the flesh. Would I like to see actual picture of Jesus' photo? Sure I would, but I never will. But here's the problem. The more we engrave pictures and hang them around of who's supposed to be Jesus, the further we get from this decision by Paul, because we can make Jesus in an image and hang him on a cross, and we can make Jesus images of holding a sheep, and we can make Jesus images of all kind of things, sitting at the table. You know the famous picture by da Vinci where he was famously heard to say, if you want in the picture, guys, get on this side of the table, please. Paul said, I'm going to make a decision today. I'll never know him again after the flesh. I pray in the name of Jesus that God give every one of us in this room. I've never been more serious about this than I am right now. I pray that God give you an image in your spirit of a victorious and enthroned Jesus that is judging the world and ruling from heaven and large and in charge. He's not on a cross. He's not holding a lamb. He's not in his days of passion. He's not lifeless. He is enthroned and he is in charge. Stand with me, if you will, here in this room and give an enthroned king of kings the greatest praise that you can. If the worship team would come now, I want you to do something for me. Pastor Nicole and worship team, I want to ask you all, because I had no idea. David, I remember when you wrote that song, Heaven on Earth. But when I listened to the verses of this today, and David not knowing much about what I was going to share, because he may not have let me, I don't know. No, David, if I know anything about you, I know you're a kingdom man. I believe this has been in your heart a long time. It was in your heart years ago. It was in your heart when you wrote this song. Can we throw the words of that song up there? Before they sing it, heaven on earth, I want you to look at the words of this song, and I want you to tie them into the very things that I've talked about today. Look at the first words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. His anointing is empowering. The kingdom of the Lord is within me, and he's calling me to the heavenlies. Be seated in heavenly places, just like heaven on earth. Yeah, yeah, See, the yeah. part I didn't get to that Pastor David's going to finish out is, did you know there are, this is going to be shocking to you. I've been studying this. There's over 100 references in the New Testament to Jesus being enthroned and us being there with him. 100 references. 
You know, it's amazing how we can find some remote something and in our desire to be unique, we build a doctrine out of something that was hardly mentioned. And then there's a hundred verses telling us that we're seated with him in the heavens and we miss the whole thing. And we want to go back and cry over him on the cross. And he's like, I'm going to make sure somebody breaks their ankle or they stick you with the wrong spear. If you don't understand that I am enthroned and I'm not on a cross anymore. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.